Hello and welcome to Come Follow Me. This week we're reading Alma chapters 39 through 42. In these chapters, Alma writes to his son Corianton. He teaches some amazing doctrines, each one worth a whole week of study. And I admit it was difficult deciding which one to focus on this week for the podcast. Here's a few examples. In chapter 39, verse 8, he teaches, You cannot hide your crimes from God. In the same chapter, verses 17 through 19, angels declare the coming of Christ and his atonement. In chapter 40, verse 3, God is all-knowing and has mysteries that we know not of. In verses 10 through 14, he gives us a detailed account of the spirit world and life after death. Verse 23 through 24, he talks about the resurrection. In chapter 41, verse 14, Alma teaches the golden rule. In chapter 42, verse 5, he teaches about Adam and Eve's decision to partake of the fruit. And in the same chapter, verse 30, how we should rely and depend upon God's justice and His atonement. Can you see how we could spend months of study on a few short chapters? Among all these doctrines, I'd like to focus on one verse, usually passed over because of its complexity and contradiction with our mortal understanding. In chapter 42, verse 15, it says, And now the plan of mercy could not have been brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore, God himself atoned for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect God, a just God, and a merciful God also. There are two parts to this verse. First, that God himself atoned for the sins of the world, and the second part, that the atonement or the plan of mercy had to be made for several reasons. To appease the demands of justice, but also that God might be a perfect, just, and merciful God. Let's take a deeper look at each part. First, that God atoned for the sins of the world. This could be confusing. Some would say we believe God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, comprising of the Godhead, are three separate and distinct persons. And we all know that Jesus was the one who atoned for the sins of the world. So what do we make of this scripture? How can we pause and try to understand instead of just dismissing it? But first, the question is, why should we? Why is it important to try to understand this. In the book of John, chapter 17, verse 3, it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, It is the first principle of the gospel to know for certainty the character of God. It is critical, therefore for us to know who God and Jesus Christ are. Not just to know about them, but to know them personally. So how do we do this? How do we get to know them? It starts with a desire. Then, with a covenant. That we want to know them, and that we will accept them 
no matter who they are, not just as we want them to be or what we wish them to be. And then we study, we read, we gather as much truth as we can, and we ask in faith, as all the great prophets have shown us, and then we wait for his reply. And while we wait, we learn more, we study more, we serve and love and pray more. As a start, in hopes to pique your desire, here are a few quotes from James E. Talmadge's book, Jesus the Christ. In chapter 4, he says, We claim scriptural authority for the assertion that Jesus Christ was and is God the Creator, the God who revealed himself to Adam, Enoch, and all the antediluvial patriarchs and prophets down to Noah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel as a united people, and the God of Ephraim and Judah, after the destruction of the Jewish nations, the God who made himself known to the prophet from Moses to Amalekai, the God of the Old Testament record, the God of the Nephites, we affirm that Jesus Christ was and is Jehovah, the Eternal One. The scriptures specify three personages in the Godhead. Number one, God the Eternal Father. Number two, his son Jesus Christ. And number three, the Holy Ghost. These constitute the Holy Trinity, comprising of three physically separate and distinct individuals who together constitute the presiding council of heaven. At least two of these appear as directly participating in the work of the creation. This fact is instanced by the plurality expressed in Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And later, in the course of consultation concerning Adam's transgression, the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us from the words of Moses as revealed anew in the present dispensation. As therefore shown in another connection, the Father operates in the work of creation through the Son, who thus became the executive through whom the will, commandment, or the word of the Father was put into effect. It is with incisive appropriateness, therefore, that the Son... Jesus Christ is designated by the Apostle John as the Word, or, as described by the Father, the Word of my power, the part taken by Jesus Christ in the creation, a point so prominent as to justify our calling him the Creator, is set forth in many scriptures. The author of the Epistle of the Hebrews refers to this wise distinctively to the Father and the Son as separate, though associated beings, God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the Father by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Paul is even more explicit in his letter to the Colossians. Therefore, speaking of Jesus Christ, he said, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. That the Christ who is to come was in reality God, the Creator, was revealed in plainness to the prophets on the Western Hemisphere. 
Samuel, the converted Lamanite, in preaching to the unbelieving Nephites, justified his testimony as follows. And also, that ye might know of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things from the beginning, and that ye might know of the signs of his comings, to the intent that ye might believe in his name. He continues to say, Jesus Christ was God even before he assumed the body of flesh. During that antimortal period, there was an essential difference between the Father and the Son, in that the former had already passed through the experience of mortal life, including the death and the resurrection, and was therefore a being possessed of a perfect, immortalized body of flesh and bones, while the Son was yet embodied. Through his death and subsequent resurrection, Jesus Christ is today a being like unto the Father in all the essential characteristics. Those are just a few quotes from Talmadge's book, Jesus the Christ. And though I get it, it's hard to read sometimes. It's hard to understand because Talmadge talks in these words that we've never heard before. It's worth trying to understand. It's worth putting in the effort. There was an article written by Brian W. Ricks called James E. Talmadge and the Doctrine of the Godhead, where he kind of breaks it down into, I guess you'd say, layman's terms. Still quoting from Talmadge, but also citing other references. Talmadge wrote another book called The Articles of Faith. Both of these books and others he was actually commissioned by the First Presidency back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, so that the doctrines taught inside the church would be congruent and the truth. Because in order to love and serve the all-powerful being we call God, you have to know who he is. You have to know what he is. So when you read this verse in Alma, which says that God himself atoned for the sins of the world, you can understand when they refer to God here, they're speaking of Jesus Christ. When we take a look at the second part of this verse that says that God might be a perfect, just God, and a merciful God also, it's referring to the progression Jesus had to go through in order to become like the Father. As Talmud states, God in the beginning was not like us. This is the reason that the mortal experience was introduced, that we may become like him. Jesus Christ was like one of us in the form of a body, thus having to come to the earth to atone for the sins of the world so he could become like God with death and resurrection. But this verse teaches us that not just because of those things, but also that he might learn to become a perfect God, a just and a merciful God. If Jesus was sent to the earth to learn these things, do you think that we were sent here to learn these things as well? To learn to be perfect, which actually in the old Hebrew means to be complete but also that we can learn to be just and merciful. It's something worth pondering over. As a suggested read, if you really want to come to understand who God and Jesus Christ are 
in simple terms, in an easy way to understand, which for me is important. In April 2002 Enzyme, there was an article published by the church called The Father and the Son. This article was actually revised from a 1916 article. That states clearly what the church's belief is on God, the Eternal Father, speaking of Elohim, and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, as Jehovah. What we know of them. What we believe. I'll leave a link in the subject of the podcast to all of these references. You can actually find Talmadge's book, Jesus the Christ, online. You don't have to go buy it. But this principle is absolutely critical. It's important for us to understand and to visualize who you are praying to. Because this is the way you start to develop a relationship with your father. In the St. Anselm transcript of Sydney, Notre Dame in 1903, these words were written, Believe in order to understand, rather than understand in order to believe. This is how we learn eternal principles. We believe first, and the understanding comes after, rather than understanding first in order to believe. This is the way it's always been, and the way it will always be. If you want to come to know the Father and the Son, believe, covenant, and work to know them. If we do these things, they will reveal themselves unto us. Jesus said over and over, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. They want us to pursue them. They want us to know them. This I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. 